Annyeong Sao. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unnees. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. So uh, tonight we are recording on a different night than we usually do. Uh, and that's because we just had some curious is- incidents uh, befall the the afternoon is here. If you guys want to talk about what happened to both of you, well, I mean, I I mean, you can hear it in my voice right now. Like this is the best I've sounded all week. I had no voice on Wednesday night, which is usually when we record. Uh, so we chose not to record that night. Which thank you both for waiting for me. Um, it's just a sinus infection, folks. This usually happens to me in November, but because we postponed all of the germs until spring this year, uh, I've got it now. So. Here we go. I hope to keep my voice for the entirety of the podcast, but we'll see. Yeah, you're a trooper. You sound okay. <laughs> and uh, not to be super extra, but um, yeah, I don't have a cold, <laughs> but I do have half a face. Leah Two-Face. So yeah, Leah Two-Face. So I woke up last, so last Sunday I was in bed watching my mister and I was noticing that my blinking seemed weird like one of my eyes just didn't feel like it wanted to blink but I'd also been screwing it shut for a really long time watching the drama on my phone so I was like maybe I just like wonked it out like squinting with one eye in bed on my phone like not exactly like ergonomically like you know no gold stars there so I went to bed and then I woke up the next morning and was like my face feels really really strange So I sat up and I looked at my husband and I was like, what is going on? And he was like, "Um, can you smile for me? And I smiled like this, (laughs) which uh, Amy and uh, Megan can see. So half my face smiled. The other half did not. And he was like, are you messing with me? And I was like, no. And I was like, okay, I don't think I'm having a stroke. Let me just say as a PSA, do not do what I did, which was I thought, look, my body's working fine. I don't feel cognitively impaired. I do not believe I'm having a stroke right now. And my husband's like, okay, yeah, I don't think you're having a stroke either. And let's just be real. He's like, and it's, you know, maybe get up and eat something. And, you know, my pinky isn't really bending either. So like, we're kind of both a mess. So if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard the saga of my husband breaking a pinky (laughs) on his non-dominant hand. and It's really dominated my life for like over six weeks, which it's a struggle. (laughs) Like he broke his finger and that hurts and he had wire in it and that sucks. But let's just like, you know, I mean, I just need to like put it in the context that it deserves when like my face is like not working. And so I did what I think a lot of moms would do. And again, my PSA Mm -hmm. is don't do this. I was like, well, I'm going to make breakfast for the kids. I'm going to get my son to school and then I'm going to go to the doctors, I guess, but I'm just going to go to urgent care or whatever. So meanwhile, my sister is texting me being like, WTF, get to the emergency room right now. And I'm like, no, no, like it's not a stroke. I'm sure it's not a stroke. My friend who's a nurse practitioner is like, WTF, what are you doing as I'm walking into urgent care? She's like, you need to be at the ER. 
And I was like, no, no, I think it's fine. Long story short, it's fine. I'm not dead. But my brother, who's a first responder, firefighter, paramedic, was like, um, yeah, that was the <laughs> dumbest thing. You literally could have just been like dead within an hour. I see many people who are like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm dead. So I just want to say all this to say, I'm fine. I did not have a stroke. What I have is something called Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy, they don't really know what it is. It's idiopathic. But um, it could it's likely like a virus was reawoken in my body. I did feel run down for about a week before um, the palsy struck me. And there's some sort of inflammation like in the nerve that comes into your face through your ear. And then it kind of comes up and controls your forehead to your mouth. And so I don't have any movement in my forehead. I don't have any movement like in my right nostril or in my mouth. It just kind of all hangs there. And when the doctor came into the urgent care room, she was like, oh, you wearing the mask is actually really helpful because I can tell right away you have Bell's palsy. And it's because my um, forehead has kind of like collapsed for lack of a better, like a little melted ice cream cone. It's kind of slid on down on this side. And um, I guess in a stroke, that's not um, like, that's not usually the common. Uh, this is like how a palsy presents itself is that the, the forehead goes out as well because the whole nerve basically just conks out. So What's the recovery and the prognosis? We don't know, which is really fun. So I'm on prednisone and I'm on an antiviral that I wrap up tomorrow that hopefully took the inflammation down enough to begin the healing process. We shall see. And it's going to depend how much the nerve was damaged, how much is dead, and that will determine how long it comes back. So, um, you know, if it's only some of the sheet, like the myelin sheaths on the outside of the nerve and it takes a little bit of time, it could be coming back in a couple of weeks. If it sustained longer damage, I guess it only can regenerate at the rate of like one millimeter a day. And that's a lot of face to cover. So it could come back longer. It could come back wonky. It said it could rewire weird. So I could get nerves like when I open my mouth, my eye could close. So, or it could come back totally normal. So it's just like, who knows? I can pretend I'm having, trying to have a sense of humor. It's like I got free Botox on half my face. So maybe when it comes back, I'll just be real, real smooth. I don't know. It's pretty freaking fucked is what it is. But you know, like, what are you going to do? I can move my body. I'm not dying. It's just like super random to just wake up and be like, well, today's the day that I'm just not going to have a face now. So that's what we're going to do. We canceled, obviously, last Wednesday because, you know, Amy couldn't talk and like Leah wasn't feeling great. And I was like, I think we need to just move on. And so I was like telling Neil what happened to you guys? And then Neil, he looks at me and he goes, well, bad things come in threes. What's going to happen to you? And I said, well, thanks a lot. Like, can we not be pessimistic? I would appreciate that, which so far nothing has happened to me, but. Well, you buried your uh, hamster the other day. You might have been the one that kicked it off. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe I was the catalyst. <laughs> And you buried a chicken. Yeah. Okay. So I will say the capstone to all of it is, you know, we are down a pet at the Riley home. So we had had, you know, dog, cat, lizard, four chickens. We were down to three chickens because the day that the, the day after the palsy hit, I was like, I'm going to take the day off, try to relax. I really didn't. I was like, oh, I must be really busy because I spend the whole day just doing shit. And I hear the chickens making weird noise. And I go outside and one of the chickens just legs up in the air in the coop. My husband's out of town and I'm like, WTF do I do with this giant dead chicken? Like I've never even taken a mouse out of a trap. Like I don't do this kind of thing. So I did what any grown up does. And I called my mom kind of half crying and half laughing <laughs> with my frozen face being like, I don't know what to do. I just need you to be on the phone with me while I try to shovel it into like a bag. 
And so I keep trying to shovel it. It's dead. So it's like flopping and not really going in the bag. I'm screaming. And in the end, I was like, my memoir could be like the day I shoveled a dead chicken with half a face. But then you know what? That's not a good day <laughs> for me. Chicken. It was a much worse day for the chicken. So. <laughs> I mean, true. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that's glass half yeah, full. Yeah, glass half full, which is, you know, maybe what we segue into for tonight is, is this a drama? Is this a drama that's half full or half empty? Oh my gosh. Because none of these characters have a glass See, half full. See, I'm going to make a different <laughs> argument. I'm going to make a different <laughs> argument. And if I talk, no, if no, I no, no. talk weird tonight, it is because only half my face moves. So it sounds weird to me. I think it's probably going to sound a little weird on listening. Okay. It's like only when you make certain yeah, I sounds. Don't, like, I you know what I mean? Like certain hear, syllables. Yeah. I, I and you know. It looks like I, I got some dental. I don't care. It kind of does actually. It looks like you got like half of your face numbed. Yeah. Right. On Where, that. Where's note. our wind chimes to to segue? We are now in session <laughs> for the non-spoiler <laughs> section of my Mister. All right. Here is a short, spoiler-free overview of the 2018 drama My Mister or My Ajusi, courtesy of Asian Wiki. A man, our butter-voiced Lee Sun Kyun, that part was me and not Asian Wiki, in his 40s, withstands the weight of life. A woman, the extremely talented yet not allowed to smile in this drama IU, again my edition, in her 20s goes through difficult experiences, but also withstands the weight of her life. The man and woman get together to help each other. So this drama has been on our list for quite some time, mainly because our list is long and we can't all watch with Megan's speed and endurance. So here we are. We're finally getting to My Mister. Some viewers put My Mister in their top five. Some list it as their tippy-top favorite, nothing can compare to it, number one, while some think it's a bit of a wet blanket. I'm not naming names. This is going to be a fun discussion, folks, because I think we are all over the place on this one and we can't wait to dive in. But of course, we'll start with the no spoilers and then give you a nice warning when we're going to get into the nitty gritty. So first, the no spoiler section of My Mister. And I want to start by quoting the topmost review for My Mister on My Drama List. User James Bond concludes their lengthy review by saying, I could go on and on about this for hours, but let's wrap it up. Time flies by in a second while watching this show. The world around you feels different while watching this show. There were 16 episodes of it, and it feels like I could watch 16,000 more, and I will still enjoy it as much as I do now. So, Megan, Leah, please give your initial overall reaction to my mister in relation to this quote. So I say 16,000 hours of people being cold, sad, and crying all the time, I'll pass. I watched this drama fast only because I really, truly wanted it to be over. And yeah, the word di- the world did feel different while watching this drama. I was depressed as hell. <laughs> I was like angry. <laughs> and I finished it up so I could, I felt like I could like get my life back and once again be happy. <laughs> I think you described it to me as a wet sandwich. No, I said it was wet white. I thought I said it was wet wonder bread. <laughs> wet wonder, wet bread. wonder bread. Okay, it was that's... like just wet, soggy bread. She's <laughs> so mad. I know. Okay. I'm so bad. I'm sorry, guys. I, I won't be ho- horrible. You I'll know what? Be, I think it's more interesting when you are. So go for okay. it. <laughs> um, so I like this drama. Full stop. I enjoyed it. Um, it, however, did not transform my world. Um, and I feel very satisfied with the 16 episodes we got. 
Um, I think for me, I honestly expected to like it more and be like emotionally wrung out and end in this like deep love over the drama. And I, I never got there. I like it. I respect it. I feel like, you know, this drama and I could go out for coffee and talk about topical issues, but we're like not going to go home and make out. <laughs> um, and like, here's one thing. I think that it is, though, really cool that it celebrates a love that we don't really see that much of. It celebrates not romantic love, not famil familial love, but this like vague and undefined love that can exist between two people. And the kind of a real love, though, where they're seeing behind each other's identity and masks to their core essence um, and finding each other to be enough. And then that's without layering in kind of like sexualized or overly romantic love. And so for me, I thought it was quite lovely in that regard. And I also enjoyed it. I don't need 16,000 hours of anything, especially this drama. But I, I think what was hard for me and because of the nature of what we do here with the podcast is we're usually watching drama on top of drama and I wish this was a drama I could have watched one episode a week but instead I watched 16 episodes in 10 days and that was I think that had an effect on how I felt about it but I um I did like it I did not love it um and so yeah 16 episodes I'm good thank you next uh, what would be a good comp for this drama, K-drama or Western media, and who do you think would like it? So if you're a fan of Winnie the Pooh, particularly his always morose friend Eeyore, then I think you'll dig my mister. <laughs> Amy referred to it as the Eeyore of K-dramas, and it made me laugh a lot. Okay, so look. <laughs> I'm like trying to do this with half a face. I know. And Leah, Leah's like on an uphill battle with half a face. <laughs> okay. Let me just get my mouth moving. Okay. So I love the escapism that K-dramas often offer. Like that whole idea of Captain Ree crawling for 20 hours in the name of love through a tunnel with no need to drink water or use a toilet. Like, yes, give me like pretty and passion. But, you know, sometimes the heart wants something more real and unpolished and messy. And I feel like that's what this show offered to me. And I found the hero, Dong Hoon, um, a fundamentally good person. I don't think he was a perfect husband, but I think he was a kind man, a good brother, a good friend, and a good boss. And the fact he's flawed a little bit was realistic to me. But I don't think he's an Eeyore. Like, I didn't find him to be pessimistic. It's just that his life isn't happy. It's not misery, but it's not joyful. And I think that's really like a relatable situation for many people, especially as they approach middle age. Um, so my strong comp for this is probably me saying um, I personally enjoyed me saying a lot more, but that's for another conversation. But I do feel like it offers this like alternate um, slice of life look at corporate life and soul and the difficulties of office culture and politics and celebrates people who live among the cubicles and kind of focuses on their hopes and dreams. And I also think a comp for this could also be moved to heaven a little bit in terms of kind of just like real folks, like enduring life in, um, you know, contemporary uh, soul. I do want to, I do want to add to that. I do like all that you said, but I do want to add, I don't think Dong Hoon is Eeyore. I just think the drama is Eeyore. <laughs> You think the overall tone was pessimistic? No, no, I don't think it was pessimistic. I think it was a bit morose, though. Um, and, and that's sure. that's okay. a, that's different to me than pessimistic. Um, I don't think it was a bunch of people 
with glass half empty vibes going on. But I do think it's a lot of, and I talk about it more later, so I don't want to get too much into it now, but I do feel it. Yeah. And I guess we could have to talk about what's our core view on what Eeyore represents. <laughs> right. Right. So we, Is it we need to pessimism or morosity. Right, we need to unpack Eeyore <laughs> a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's just my, my thought of it is, especially when we get to talking about the end, I expected more uplifting when I got to the end. And maybe that was just because of all of the hype around this drama that I thought I was going to get something different than I did. Um, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, tongue in cheek calling it the Eeyore of K dramas because yeah, yeah, I, I, I did like it, but I do, I did still feel sad at the end. I do want to agree that move to heaven is a good comp, by the way. I didn't think of that one. I, I mentioned it later, but I um, didn't think of it as a comp. And I do think that's a good comp. So my Mr. Writer, Park Hae-young, also wrote another Miss O, which I actually would consider a comp because it has the same overall feel as in people like being super sad and a hero who has entire scenes without saying a word. (laughs) Sorry, my snark is going to be working hard. But um, (laughs) the only thing is another Miss O does have a, a romance um, and to be honest, one of the things I did like about my mister is what Leah has just touched on, that I liked the core relationship, that it wasn't sexual, wasn't romantic, and it wasn't familial. And it was this kind of like unique um, relationship. But still, another Miss O has the same overall tone. It's clearly by the same writer. It, it's funny because I started watching another Miss O before I knew it was the same writer. And as I was watching it, I kept getting this like familiarity about it but like not in a good way (laughs) and then um i looked up the writer and as soon as i saw it was the same writer i began seeing like similarities between it and my mister which unfortunately made me kind of dislike both more and so i've just decided that this writer doesn't work for me and that's okay like obviously this writer does work for a lot of people and that's fantastic and i'm and i'm and i'm glad um so if my mister does work for you, then I think you'd like another Miss O and also likely my liberation notes because that's by the same writer and that's airing now. And I have seen some like talk on my liberation notes enough to know that it's not for me, but it is probably for fans of my mister. It's kind of similar slice of slice of life, uh, family relationships. Um, I don't think there's like necessarily a big external plot. I think it's like really condensed about about relationships. So I definitely would check that out if you like my mister. So whether or not you love the drama, I think we all agree that this ensemble cast is pretty stellar. Who is a favorite character for you and why? Okay, so for me, it's Dong Hoon because I thought one of us had to give this man some love. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, for me, ultimately, and I mean, this is without spoilers, but I do have to talk about like where he landed for me by the end of the drama, because I was a bit confused with like what the intent was for him at the beginning. But by the end, I really felt like this was a man who was in many ways like the hope of so many others around him. He was a person who his mother and his brothers and his neighborhood friends who all just never quite made it where they wanted to go or like had their ambitions realized. He became like a beacon of success that was um, attainable. And, you know, it's a lot like what happens with like sports teams and just, you know, when somebody's like a success in the neighborhood, like everyone kind of feels a little bit better because of that success. And so I felt like, you know, in many ways, his character was someone that like lifted everyone up. 
And yet that responsibility ultimately for him was an anchor. Because at the beginning, I was just like, I don't really get like what's so bad here for this person. But over time, I really thought like, look, his good job is toxic. His beautiful wife is distant and she's actually sleeping with his like hated enemy boss. Um, his best friend's left to be a monk and he's kind of just like emotionally alone and doing his best to hang in there. And also I thought something that was interesting with him is that like when shit hits the fan a few times, um, and some of the, like, these are more spoiler aspects, but there's times where like someone deserves a punch, a couple different people. And when that happens, he's not this like numb salary man. Like he really has like, he's a, can fight like a beast. And it showed me that, like, some of these nuances that kind of, like, come through the cracks of this very stoic surface, um, like, surface, tell me that he has a lot going on, but he's kind of, like, shoved it down deep and, like, trash compacted it. And now he's kind of, like, fighting for control in this, like, life that is, like, really bound by, like, structure and stability. And I thought that was also nicely juxtaposed because his career is literally as a structural engineer who's looking for small cracks that can bring down a building. So overall, I think that, um, you know, this role is played really well and I appreciated kind of the subtlety and the nuance as it went on. I don't think he's an Eeyore or a sad sack, <laughs> um, but I think he's kind of like this nice little poem to the emotional costs of living an inauthentic life bound by duty and aspiration and how having that moment when someone can see you and really see who you are, like warts and all and still think you're worthy of life and esteem, that's really powerful. Yeah, I love what you said. I mean, to be honest, though, you're summing up the drama better than it gave me. Like, you're being more eloquent to me, but then but then maybe that's, that's my issue. Maybe that's my issue because that's not what I was able to glean from the drama and you were. You know what I mean? So, yeah, maybe that's a me issue. I will say, like, I loved the I loved his brothers. So Dong Hoon has two brothers, one older and one younger, and they to me were the best part of the drama. I think I just I loved the neighborhood and the family. And to be honest, if the drama would have focused more on that and less of like office stuff, I maybe would have enjoyed it more. So I particularly love the youngest, Park Ki Hoon, played by Song Se Byuk. I was very invested in his story, so I don't want to like give any spoilers, but I thought he played this troubled, you know, failed screenwriter turned like cleaner just so well he was just he just said a lot well he did he luckily he talked more than dong hoon but he but he said a lot with his words with his actions i just really loved that actor and i would definitely look up more of what he was in and i just thought he was a really interesting character yeah i do i just want to say i do like the the metaphor that runs through the drama of the structural engineering and the sort of cracks in the foundation um i thought that was really well done and i like how you put that um, and agree, Megan, the brothers were awesome. And, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to our, our other sort of lead role here. Like, look, Jian never got to fully smile on this drama, which was truly a downer for me. But I thought IU's portrayal of this truly broken child was so impressive. I had to pause in the middle of the drama to go watch some idol videos of her because I really couldn't like fathom that this sad, broken girl was also like a pop star. And so then I watched her do a cover of Bruno Mars's Marry You, and I was blown away that it was the same person. Despite how sad this drama made me at times, I thought IU's performance was astounding, like truly. And I'm continually impressed by how talented someone can be as a pop star and then as a dramatic actor. And it makes me want to watch her in everything else she's doing, like even more. 
I mean, it's true. She embodied this character. She did. I do fully agree with you that she played the hell out of this character. She did amazing. I mean, she was completely believable as who she was, in my opinion. And I, I think I wrestled back and forth because really, I think the two leads were ultimately the stars. Although I do think it's a very, very strong um, ensemble. And I think I ended up going with Dong Hoon just because in the end, I thought that there was... I don't know, a little bit more complication in terms of like that idea of like, well, what do you have to be sad about? And that's like a harder emotional lift to work with. Whereas like, and I think this is something I'll talk about a little bit later. Like Gian was like, how much sadness can one person like reasonably be expected to endure? And so like, I don't know. It just felt like, not that it's an easier lift to be that tragic, but like it was also kind of like, it almost started to feel like a grim fairy tale of like, come on, like really. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Megan will have much to say on that later. My mister is very much a slice of life drama, like we've been saying, that deals with the idea of happiness versus sacrifice, with our lead character, Dong Hoon, thinking that his lot in life is to sacrifice so others can be happy. Do you think that this is an accurate portrayal of how many of us might see the world? And is it selfish to want your own happiness, you know, and in the midst of this idea of, you know, we're supposed to give to those that we care about? I think overall, maybe this is also how I didn't connect with the drama. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm the, I'm the selfish one because I don't think it's selfish to want your own happiness. And like I'm kind of like a martyr complex. I not that's really simplifying the, the the drama, but overall, a martyr complex and like everyday life is just is is something that I don't think I'll really ever be able to relate to. Um, and I kind of just wish everyone you know strive to find their joys more. I don't think it's selfish to want happiness for yourself, but I do think that it's easy to become complacent in our lives, which in some cases can lead to sort of unintentional martyrdom because it's sometimes easier to endure than to break the cycle. So in that respect, I think that Dong Hoon and Jian feel very real to me because I can understand just moving forward through your unhappiness simply because it seems like that's all you've ever done and you don't know anything else. And sometimes it's hard to see a way out because it takes a very big leap of faith to jump out of that comfort zone, even if the comfort zone is misery, you know, if that makes sense. I mean, I I feel very close to this, I think, um, because as as of this recording of the podcast, um, my last day of school was uh, two days ago, and that was my last day in public education after 21 years, and I'm making a career change. And I think for a long time... Um, I got complacent in, uh, and I don't want to go too much into it because there's a lot, you know, to unpack here, but to get complacent in a position where you're not finding fulfillment or you're not happy, you know, sort of situation. And it was very easy to do that for a long time. And so I think, yeah, I don't think there's any selfishness in wanting happiness for yourself, but I think it's easy to forget that there is a way to that happiness when you don't have it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it does. And I think that's, I think that's good. And I, I think that's what dramas like this I enjoy because it invites us to kind of like think and reflect. Um, and to me, it's less about a story of um, championing the idea of, um, of being a martyr. But I think it's that idea of like first just recognizing it's like not so simple as like going and doing what you want, right? Like there's stakes here. And I think that, again, with Dong Hoon, it's like this idea that, like, yes, maybe he'd be happy doing other things sometimes. However, you know, when everyone else has really just kind of, like, 
not live their best life, like there is like the sense of pressure and there is the sense of like, well, who is going to be the one that's going to like pay for the mom's funeral at, you know, at some point and like take care of everyone. Like you've got responsibility. And, um, and so I think I can respect that idea that like sometimes life is, you know, it's responsibility and it's not a lot of fun. Um, but I felt like to me, what was ultimately where I do feel like the drama was hopeful was I thought by the end, I had a sense of people having released some of those things that had kind of kept them in that complacency and they had started to take steps, like meaningful steps into self-actualization. And so that's where I felt like in the end, it ultimately, when people do talk about it being healing, I think that's why I do agree at the end. Yes, because I think people went through some deep emotional shit. And in the end, quite a few characters were taking steps forward back into like being on a path that was like letting them live a better expression of themselves. Yeah, I like that. And I will agree. Like, I don't think that this drama is a celebration of martyrdom by any means. I think it is a a peek into, you know, a few people's lives and that idea of how you can get stuck because it's easier to just keep keep on trucking because that's all you've ever known. I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. I just, I didn't freaking enjoy it, man. It was just, I mean... <sighs> It was hard, guys, and 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 that's the thing. I, I think just, you just I, didn't I enjoy watching it. The end, but, um, it was very and that's everyone fair. that's fair said to me like multiple people all over the internet messages after message to us. This is a healing drama, and I didn't feel that way at all. And I guess so. Part of me wants to be like to some listeners, like I I don't necessarily think that everyone's going to resonate with this and maybe you're one of them and you're like what's wrong with me and there's nothing wrong with you it's okay to like not feel healed I guess because um I didn't and I get but I guess that's my thing I I I felt like everyone said you'll be healed and I was like well god I almost feel worse (laughs) so um I just I guess that's part of why I want to And I think that's a really good perspective to share. Um, And I think that none of us ultimately, I think I'm, I I mean, look, I think we've kind of like ranked as we sometimes go where maybe I liked it the most, Amy in the middle the most, you know, (laughs) Megan didn't like it the most in this one. But, um, but yes, I will say that it is surprising to me that this has probably been the drama that's been recommended to us more than anyone else. So it's hitting a chord, which I think is very interesting because I swear we have not had as many people requesting this podcast and this drama, like by like twenty five percent. Yeah, it's crazy, and I, I a lot of people are like, I cried so hard, and look, I'm a crybaby. I cry, guys. I cry at like commercials, like I cry at everything. Yeah, and I didn't. Cry I one didn't time cry at all. This. Didn't cry at all. We went. We can. I didn't okay. cry, and our. Uh, it was almost, I almost by the end just felt deadened to like <laughs> the emotional wave. Seriously. See, so. I, and I didn't feel emotionally deadened, but I feel like I was connecting with this. And we can talk about this as like, you know, we move into the spoiler. I feel like I connected with it on like an intellectual level and appreciate it still on an intellectual level, but it didn't hit me in my feels. And I appreciate your, I actually really do appreciate your perspective because you're already saying things that do make me have a different perspective on it. I still didn't, I still can't say that I enjoyed it, but I do appreciate the intellectual stuff you're saying about it because that does 
also help me understand why other people like it. So, but it makes me a little feel like a little worried that like none of us emotionally. Connected. I know. Like, are we all defective? <laughs> I really <laughs> wanted a, one of us to love it. Like I truly did. I, I and I remember when you you when we uh, first when you two first started watching it and you were like at episode like four or five and both of you are like we really aren't feeling it yet and I was like oh my god did I. Like, did I influence you? Because that would have been terrible. I don't want to do that. Like, you knew I didn't like it because I was honest about it. But I was really worried. So when you both came around more than I did, I was like, oh, thank God. Because if all three of us liked it, no one had ever listened to this podcast again. (laughs) We'd be shunned by our listeners. (laughs) I think think we have some good varying perspectives going on here, which I think is is something that this drama needs. And so I'm I'm glad that we're going to get into that. But before we do... We're going to take a break and do our favorite segment, which is our K recommendation of the week. And Megan, what do you have for us today? So I'm going to recommend a new release, and that's Hot by Seventeen. Look, the song's hot. That's all I got to say. The dancing's hot. It's really catchy. It's super fun. And uh, yeah, I love the dance moves, the dance choreography. And yeah, it's definitely on my playlist, and I'm super enjoying it. So uh, once again, it's called Hot by Seventeen. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoona Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, Glow up your skin with K Merch Rex. Find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. Okay, so we are now entering the spoiler section of My Mister. Truly, I don't think listening to spoilers will ruin the drama for you, since this drama does not really throw a ton of surprises at the viewer, but instead examines the different ways characters face their own personal, professional, and emotional challenges. But if you want to peace out and go watch, we'll catch you up when you return. Here is the full synopsis for My Mister from My Drama List. Park Dong-hoon is a middle-aged engineer who is married to attorney Kong Yoon-hee, However, his life is not that happy as he has two unemployed brothers, Sang-hoon and Gi-hoon, who rely on him. Moreover, his wife is secretly having an affair with CEO Do Jun-yong, his current boss and college junior. Receiving an unexpected bribe one day, Dong-hoon notices that his co-worker Lee Ji-an witnessed the incident. Ji-an is a young part-time worker at Dong-hoon's company who is drowning in debt and left alone to care for her ill grandmother. Dong-hoon then gets entangled in his brother's struggle to get back on their feet and the company's internal rivalry between the company's CEO and the people opposing him. All the while, unaware that CEO Jun Yong wants to get rid of him and that Jian is working for him. 
So the three of us have all worked jobs that involved office politics at one point or another. My question for you two is, have you ever accepted a bribe in the form of gift certificates? And or has your CEO ever paid anyone to try and get you fired? I kid, I kid. But for real, what are your thoughts <laughs> on the office politics portion of my mystery? Okay, so I feel like one is to office politics as one might be to palace intrigue in a historical. So clearly I ha- am the most forgiving of the three of us in both. So I personally warmed up to the office politics over time. At the beginning, they felt a little bit cartoonish, honestly. But then when I saw kind of where it was going to go with some of the character development in terms of some of like the gray moral implications of Gion, like wiretapping and listening, you know, I was I could see the setup more. At the beginning, it just felt, kind of felt cartoonishly bad to me. But I think here is I do love that it was set as like backdropped against like a construction company. But here's like I think where emotionally part of this didn't connect for me. And this happened on a couple of different key points is I was looking for more intent into like the relational setup of things. So when we look at like the evil CEO, you know, and is he evil? I don't know. Is he like sniveling? Yes, he's kind of hot, honestly. (laughs) Um, Jun Young. And so we have him and Dong Hoon. And we know that they have history between them. We know that Jun Young is tapping Dong Hoon's uh, wife. <laughs> but like Dong Hoon doesn't know that at the beginning. But, um, you know, they're, but we know that the two men are kind of mortalish enemies. Dong Hoon, they went to school together. Dong Hoon's the senior. So it's a little bit humbling now for like Jun Young to be above him. And he just doesn't respect you know, he doesn't respect his authority. He doesn't respect him as a human being. And I get it. Like, sometimes you just can't stand a guy. But I feel like since I didn't ever really get, like, some great connecting into, like, who he was or, like, why that mattered, I guess it kept me from really fully investing. Like, I kept hearing, like, we were being told about it. Like, oh, in school this or when we were younger this or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know. I felt like there was, like, telling and not showing. And so I got to where, like, we're fully in animosity But yet, and that's driving like all the politics and all the intrigue and all like the backstabbing and all the corporate like jockeying. But ultimately, I'm like, but I kind of just needed to like care about like why they had this conflict in the first place. Yeah, that's a really good point. So surprise, um, I did not enjoy the office politics of my mister. And actually, for the same reasons as Leah, um, I it was basically a bunch of men fighting over the top spot of a company that didn't even necessarily have tons of power. Like, we're not talking about a president, a government entity or, or anything, uh, you know. Um, like, what were the stakes? Other than me not wanting the home wrecker, Do Jun Yong played very well by King Kim Young Min to get the CEO position. I truly didn't care if the entire building collapsed on a cracked foundation. <laughs> I do want to say real quick... Um, so Kim Young Min, so the one who played Do Jun Young. So first of all, he was the the kind of spy in Crash Landing on You. Ma, I think Mon Bok was his name. Yeah. And he also plays a villain in Military Prosecutor Doberman. Oh, and funny. I was kind of watching, yeah, and it was kind of cool because I was watching my mister sort of at the same time I was like watching the currently airing Military Prosecutor Doberman. And so they're both, what was really cool is that he was a villain in both, but he was a very different villain. And like, I really got to give props to that guy because I thought, 
I, for what he was given with like the script, because I agree with Leah, there was like a, they, I really wish they would have delved more into that relationship. But, um, he's fantastic. So he's fantastic. He's a great villain. That's all I got to say. He was so good in Military Prosecutor Doberman, too. And he does some bad stuff in Crash Landing on you, sort of un, you know, involuntarily. Um, and mm-hmm. so he's more of a sympathetic yes. bad guy. Yes. Yeah. So that was, I mean, it's, it's really interesting that he's sort of, been typecast in that sort of role yet he does it all so differently which yes props to him as an actor yeah he's very good but i think that like we spent a lot of time with him too like i mean that's i think like my wag of the finger is there was ample time to set that more and we spent a lot of it with like them talking more and like plotting on the side and dong who not so much really (laughs) but like other people plotting and i guess i was more like well i just kind of want to know like why about this, like, rift and characterization to, like, really make this just really feel like, oh, my gosh, Jung Hoon's in this, like, unbearable position here. Look, I mean, there were uh, maybe five of the same shots of them glaring at each other as an elevator doors closed. And, like, and, five and different Jun shots. Young, and Jun Young, like, rushing down the hallway to get to the elevator because oh something, my God. something bad always, happened. Yeah. Again, which I'll get into that later, but correct, like... Oh, can you give me something else other than glaring at each other as the elevator doors close? I know that's a K-drama cliche, but at least most K-dramas only do it once or twice. <laughs> you know, like, I get that it's a plot device for Jian to, to wiretap, you know, uh, Dong Hoon's phone. Like, that's really what it's all for, right? Like, that mm-hmm. she's that she's spilling, you know, Dong Hoon's secrets to Jun Young. But again, without any context of why this is even happening... That whole, I mean, I, I fast forwarded any office scenes that it was like all the men in the boardroom like plotting because I'm like, this means nothing to me. And it really like in the overall, like I'm glad the good guys won, I guess, but like I really didn't care about that, the office relationship at all. So, you know, whatever. It, it served its purpose for, for the Jian and Dong Hoon story, but other than that, it did nothing for me. Okay, so this kind of got brought up a little bit ago. So we talked off pod about how when we first started the drama, it felt very male-centered. Like the essence of the drama was the plight of the middle-class, middle-aged man, which was odd when we you know, realized it was written by a woman, um, Park Hae-young. But do you think that this assessment, um, or did this assessment change for you as it went on? Were you able to connect and relate to this plight, or did it keep you at a distance? I mean, I think that was one of the issues with this drama is because I didn't necessarily completely emotionally connect, um, especially to Dong Hoon. It, it really kept me at a distance. Um, in most of the first half, I truly could not get what Dong Hoon was sad about. And I understand what Leah um, said, and I agree, but it was just it just felt like burdensome to me even as a viewer of this viewer and um i very it very much frustrated me that this character didn't talk a lot and i gotta say in another miso the hero is very similar i cannot stand when there's like scenes where people are like asking a character a question multiple questions he remains silent and then that scene goes nowhere because he hasn't communicated a single thing. Everyone ends up frustrated. It was just for me, I wanted, um, it was just so frustrating to watch. And like Lee Sun Kyun played this character amazingly. He was top notch. And I get the point of his character. I, I do get it. And I think that the drama achieved what it meant to do. 
But for me as a viewer, it just was frustrating and not enjoyable. And I did feel very distanced in the early episodes. But once it got going, I did start connecting with Dong Hoon more. Because like I did say earlier, I get how easy it is to become complacent in your life, even if it's not fulfilling. I don't think that condoned him checking out of his marriage. But I think his response to his unhappiness and the way he communicated or didn't with his wife made her a more sympathetic character even if she did choose to have an affair with a total douchebag like June Young. But yeah, I don't know. It, it did. I did start to connect. And maybe it's because I've, I feel like, you know, a little bit of like, I've been there. Um, maybe not to that extent, but I, I get what it's like to feel like there's sort of no way out. So, or the only way out is through, you know, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't, by the time I got to the end, I'm happy to say I did not feel like the whole drama was just like the plight of the middle-aged man. Yeah, and I think originally that's what I was afraid it was, and I don't feel like that's ultimately where we ended at all. I think it was Mm -hmm. how we can be trapped by circumstances and feel very much like... Yeah, we're enduring or we're complacent or, you know, life is just happening and we're kind of just like, yeah, floating along on it. And what happens when two people who are kind of doing that see each other and they're both kind of like have this like mutual acknowledgement that we're both in this place. So they both, you know, recognize that they were both in like a pitiful stage. And as a result of encountering each other, we're able to kind of, you know, change some of the course of direction that they were going. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I felt like that was where I went instead of like sad middle-aged man. And I ultimately liked that better. (laughs) Yeah. So in my opinion, and this is Amy or Peppermint Patty, whichever one you think I sound like, um, whether you love this drama or not, Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say that Lee Sun Kyun gave a stellar performance as Dong Hoon and IU did the same as Jian, both as people in two very different points in their lives who have sacrificed their own happiness for the sake of others. But which of these two characters do you think had the most growth by the end of the drama? So I'm going to say Jian for sure. But the main reason I say that is because of how down she was from the beginning. I mean, Dong Hoon had a transformation, but he wasn't in like the littler, the literal, bleh, literal gutter like she was. Um, I mean, she went from like a broken, emotionally stunted child to a somewhat functioning adult. I mean, I'm not totally sure. Um, one of my gripes is that I didn't, I wanted more of her growth in the last episode. Um, but the drama sort of jumps ahead and it's finally sunny for the first time in 16 episodes, (laughs) but she at least isn't wearing her converse anymore. I mean, seriously, I think I cheered (laughs) when she was wearing different shoes. Um, and, and like, I'm, and I don't mean that in a snarky way. I mean, I knew obviously she couldn't afford other shoes and she, always had the converse on. So I was like, oh my God, thank God she got, you know, another pair of shoes. Um, And I guess there's like a slight possibility she's smiling, but we really don't see that either. So that was like, yeah, like why? Why couldn't we see her face when she was teaching sign language? I think she would have been smiling there and I think it would have been like such a beautiful moment for us to see her finding joy and meaning in something she was doing, especially because it connected, you know, to, to her love of her grandmother. But yes, I'll agree that she did have some really good growth. I do think Dong Hoon was in the process of growing. Like, I like how in the final episode, um, 
He involved his wife in looking for Gian and protecting her from prosecution. I like how they sort of worked as a team. But to end the drama with his wife and son abroad and him starting his own business felt a little anticlimactic to me and even like more distancing, right? Like I'm I'm glad that he was having some ambition in his career, but I felt like he was more distanced from his personal life. And so that to me felt a little bit, um, I guess, you know, unsatisfying for the end. Um, I I'm not saying that everybody has to like have everything resolved by the last episode, but I did want to see a little bit more for him in terms of his marriage, whether it was him, you know, reconciling with his wife or, you know, them deciding to go their separate ways. But also like, could we have seen them, you know, maybe like co-parenting their son together, like in real time and not, you know, from across the screen. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think it just would have helped to see him in all of the aspects of his life and how that how that had changed since his, you know, from knowing Gian. Yeah, I agree. Actually, one thing I wanted to add about Gian, one thing I did like about her journey and I found really interesting is that at the beginning, I mean, she was so emotionally closed off. I almost feel like she didn't see other people as humans because no one had ever treated her like she was right. human. I mean, her life was horrible. And I thought it was interesting that she said, you know, she had said, you know, you can be nice if, if you're rich. You can be nice if you have money. And um, because at the beginning, I think she didn't even see Dong Hoon as a person. No. To him, she was just like a thing with a lot of money. And, and, it, and that didn't matter to her because, again, no one had ever treated her like she was human. So I really loved, um, I did really love her journey from like starting to see see people as human i just it just sucked like it sucked so bad that that was her journey in life and that i mean that's what i'm talking about in this drama that's how much she had to overcome just to just to see other people as human so i mean you go from that and that gives you an idea of like what this girl is going through and so she she made progress, but whoo boy, she still has a lot more to go. Yeah, I mean, I think that we see her having changed her trajectory. And yeah, I don't think that we're seeing her at the end of her journey. I think we're seeing her at the point to know that she's had a pivot and a shift. And um, yeah, I also do think that like, whew, like it was almost overwhelming how bad her life was and overwhelming in that like, I'm not sure it needed to just be constant beating <laughs> um you know the fact that the lone shark some and sometimes i think i have a hard time when it's like you know she murdered somebody who was violent and hurting her family and so she attacked in self-defense and so then the fact that that's gonna like be i mean i think the the drama does an okay dance of like threading that needle and being kind of like okay well you know obviously she's not fully to blame and like certainly dong hoon doesn't see her as um culpable and i think that's fair but i mean yeah she does have like the bigger hole to dig herself out of by a long stretch and that's fine i think it was just like so shut down and so sad that it was distancing for me and um and so, yeah, I don't know. I think I got like halfway there with what I wanted. I really, really, really loved her listening in on Dong Hoon and kind of how that shaped her over time. And I, I, I really appreciate the drama for that. And I really didn't know that was going to be like part of what happened. And I really think that was like 
you know, obviously it was like the core intent of the drama, but I really, I really, really think it worked. But again, I think since it just felt so kind of over the top awful that sometimes I did get taken out a little bit because I was like, I don't know, this just seems like so much. Yeah, I mean, I did think that was an interesting plot choice because I'm not sure she would have been able to really have that growth without having that connection to Dong Hoon all the time because I think part of it is she had to see... Yeah, I think it was vital. Yeah, I think she had to see that other people had problems too is that like a weird um way to put it or part of that and part to see herself distilled through someone else's eyes and partially to just really deeply connect with another human and have like that emotional exchange so all of that feels really valid to me but um you know we did sound of magic um you know last week i think and in some ways it was kind of like how bad can it be for that kid and it, in some ways, that's kind of where it went here for me, too. Like, I felt like Dong Hoon's story ultimately was more interesting because, like, in some ways it's not so bad, but yet it is bad. And so the fact that hers just got kind of, like, cartoonishly horrible, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess, sure. I, I see. And I 100% agree with that. I, I And that's part partly why... <sighs> I mean, it was the drama's called My Mister, and I feel like maybe we're set up to believe it's Jian's story, but it's it's to me it's not. To me, it's Dong Hoon's story. So that's a good question. Whose story is it ultimately? Right. I think it's um, probably more his story too. Yeah. And that that was my next question. So I'll just kind of segue a little bit into that, like the whole listening thing. You know, that was it started is she bugged his phone to help Jun Young blackmail him, right? And um, so I guess my question is, because it sounds like we're all kind of in the same place, like, do we think that's a forgivable act? Because even after she switches over to Dong Hoon's side and she does start seeing Dong Hoon as a person who she wants in her life, she keeps spying on him. And then when he finds out what she's been doing, like, every, you know, all the shit hits the fan, he forgives her and he still cares for her and he still protects her. Um, and do you, do you agree that this was a forgivable act that she did? Yeah. I mean, she's, she's basically a child. I'm actually not sure how old she is in the drama. 21. Oh, 21. Okay. But yeah, she clearly has kind of like the emotional, um, like maturity. Yeah. Maturity. Uh, uh, I mean, it's bad, but so she's basically a damaged child that was like clinging to anything that made her feel somewhat normal and, and somewhat of a person of worth. Cause that's another thing. No one ever treated her like she was, she was worth anything. Um, and Dong Hoon was that for her. And if she was a full grown adult with like the emotional maturity of one, I think that would have been a, a little creepy to listen to all his, um, you know, his everyday life. And I think he would have felt that way too. But in this instance, I did feel like she deserved forgiveness. I feel like it was almost a compulsion. Once she started listening, she couldn't, she couldn't stop because I do think that was like almost a tie to humanity for her. Um, and one thing I did appreciate about this drama was that there was never an ounce of attraction on Dong who's, Dong Hoon's part towards Jian and I've seen some like chatter online like that's a question surrounding this drama did he ever have feelings for her and like no I and I no no, I don't think he did at all and rightfully so I think he kind of saw her a bit as as a daughter or at least like a mentee um 
And I, I've seen it described as soulmate connection, and I buy that. Sure, yes. I really feel like they had like a soulmate connection, but their soulmate connection wasn't romantic. And I, and I agree with that. And and I personally appreciated Lee Sun Kyung's acting ability and how he interacted with Jian, um, or you know IU because. Um, I think the nuance of caring for her without it being romantic was very well done. I thought that there was a distinction there that I appreciated. And because if it would have been anything else, I would have really been turned off from the drama. Yeah, I didn't think the relationship was icky at all. And I do I do agree that I think it's a forgivable act that she does because I like that she got to explain to Dong Hoon why she kept listening even after she was no longer helping June Young. And one part that really hit me in my feelings, and and this is one of the things that did make me tear up, was her admitting that she found comfort in hearing his footsteps when he walked home. Like just knowing that he was out there, someone who was nice to her more than four times gave her comfort. And when she finally erases the spy app and we hear his footsteps go silent... Oh, like I thought that was really powerful and a very big step for Jian's growth to trust that he was still there for her, even if she didn't have tangible proof that he was. All right, John Ki Young plays Lee Kwang Il, who at first just seems like an abusive loan shark who has a weird crush on Jian, though that doesn't stop him from breaking into her apartment, looking for the money she owes him, and beating her bloody when she taunts him. But we find out later that Kwang Il's father was the real loan shark, who used to beat Jian and her grandmother, and that before Jian killed his father in self-defense, Kwang Il used to put himself in harm's way to protect Jian from his father, until he eventually turned into what seemed to be a carbon copy of the man. What were your thoughts about Kwang Il at the end of the drama after he goes from Jian's tormentor to the one who, in many respects, saves her and Dong Hoon from Jun Young? So his character just made me sad. I thought Jong Ki Young played this character really well and I appreciated his arc, but it wasn't happy. <laughs> I mean, he finishes the drama shattered and conflicted because while he did the right thing and helped Jian, I'm sure he still feels like he betrayed his late father. And I, I mean, and I don't find him redeemable. Unfortunately, I mean, he beat Jian like brutally. So, yeah, it's just sad. I mean, sense of theme. <laughs> um, and I'll do this real quick. I just want to say here that there is one scene in this drama that I do love. So I guess I should mention it because I haven't been kind. Um, so there is part of the drama I liked where I wish the writers leaned harder. And that is the closeness of the neighborhood where Dong Hoon lives. That's where he grew up. And so he knows the men. They have a favorite bar. They're part of a Saturday morning soccer game, which mostly consists of them drinking beer on the sidelines. Dong Hoon is a bit of a hero in the neighborhood. He's the one with the best education, the best job, and the most successful wife. So Dong Hoon and Quang Hill get into a physical altercation, meaning, you know, they beat the shit out of each other. And Dong Hoon is walking home and his brothers see that he's been beat up and they get on their phones and it's like all hands on deck. And we see like shots of the various soccer team members, you know, older men like Dong Hoon, like streaming out of wherever they are. Most of them are drunk and it's night because it's always night in this drama. And they run to Dong Hoon's aid, immediately incensed on his behalf, ready to fight whoever like dared to lay hands on their Dong Hoon. And when they find him, he refuses to tell them who beat him up. And when the cops show up, they hide the the soccer team. They hide the bruised and bloody Dong Hoon while pretending that they're getting ready for a game. In like this, you know, actually one of the few like really funny scenes. 
And if the drama had been like 50% more of the neighborhood politics rather than office politics, I bet it, the drama could do, have done it for me. And just one last thing is I think that, again, with the cartoonishness, like something that kind of I felt like was a little challenging for me. But I think now that I've been like unpacking it, thinking about it while we're recording, it might fit into this idea of that like sense of the inertia of complacency is that um, with Kwong Il too. So the person who incurred these loans was the mother, like Jian's mother who bailed. So then the loan shark then comes to like take it out on the innocent victims, Granny and Jian. So a, an elderly deaf mute woman and the young girl, which seems almost impossibly bad, kind of. Um, and so, you know, and then eventually Jian kills him as he's like, you know, threatening their lives, essentially. And then we have like Kwang Il kind of in that inertia, kind of like stepping into that role of like being the father. And so again, like, that's what I'm saying. Like intellectually, I get like, okay, that kind of makes sense how it lines up. But like, I just don't fully mm, get the connection and maybe having maybe like a little bit more where like the father and the son had had some things or, you know, what is it that's like helping this kind of like inertia and complacency into like even acting out in like ways that are like violence and ultimately making you a villain? Like, how is that occurring as well? I think I would have been more like emotionally invested if like that those dots were connected. All right. Thanks to Dong Hoon's help, Jian finally gets shopping cart Granny into an assisted living facility only for Granny to die, leaving Jian truly alone. I know Megan has some very strong thoughts here. So, Megan, why don't you tell us what you think? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry because I do feel uh, very strongly about this. So, you know, again, we've talked. Um, this is called a healing drama. And so I didn't enjoy 14 episodes of what I describe as flashes of brilliance in a mind-numbingly repetitive narrative, but I held out with hope that I would be healed. And that episode 15 and 16 would lift me up out of the snow like Dong Hoon, and I would trudge forward into a cherry blossom spring. And then they killed the fucking granny. Just offed her. And why, I don't know. She was finally happy in like a lovely nursing home paid for by adult assistance. So she was no longer really like a burden to Gian. She was more like Gian's only family member and Gian loved her. She was no longer confined to like a bed pad to stare at a wall for 24 hours a day. Um, and so even though we finally had some conclusion to the main plot where Gian was like finally happy. So I was like, all right, here comes the healing. We open up episode 16 and we spend approximately 30 minutes of Gian crying. She bawled getting the call about Granny. She sobbed over Granny's body. Seriously, that was like 10 minutes, I swear to God. She bawled getting, you know, she cried during the funeral. So meanwhile, I was like screaming, wondering when the healing was coming. Because killing Granny was not to be morose, but for me, it was like the final nail in the coffin for this drama for me. Because I just found no point in it. Gian didn't need her to die to complete her arc in any way, in my opinion. Um, there is another drama, which shall not be named, that killed an old woman in the last act. But at least that drama had, like, given that old woman agency and a personality and friends and a full life. And while her death did help further the arc of the male lead, and I'm still conflicted about it, it was miles and miles better than what my mister did. So this drama gave us this, like, old woman as a plot muppet and then killed her. And, you know, basically 
how I interpreted it was that they killed her to make a man's arc come full circle, which was like about his pride too, which irritated me. So Dong Hoon's older brother Sang Hoon, played by Park So Ho San, spent much of the drama worried that because he was unemployed, he would not be able to provide funeral flowers for his mother at her funeral, which she wasn't dead yet. Um, like that was, you know, his depressing arc. So he had money saved up. And when he showed up at poor old granny's funeral and saw no funeral flowers, he bought some and called in all kinds of favors to fill the funeral hall with flowers. And like, was it lovely and touching? Sure. But did we like need to kill an old woman for Sang Hoon to find use for his money? I didn't think so. He could have helped Jian move into a new apartment, helped her further her education, like literally anything to further Jian's arc. But no. So we killed the granny instead, and I'll never be over it. Never. Thank you for letting me have that rant, because I've been holding it in for months. I don't disagree, honestly. I think we had two plot moppets. And plot moppets are basically, um, like, you know, kind of underdeveloped characters that have, like, some sort of, like, emotional mm, manipulation. (laughs) kind of in the book but like a lot of times yeah. you'll see romance like there we, we often call kids plot moppets and like dong hoon's son is obviously a plot moppet but like in this case they handled him well by just like sending him off to america at you know <laughs> two to like learn english and like you know then we could know he's a family man but like we don't need to get caught up with like the kid and then granny granny obviously is like much more sympathetic she you know is she killed off to like further sang hoon's arc absolutely I, again, I intellectually see why it works. Emotionally, I was like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, she, same. I mean, she got the call and I seriously think what hope I had left in me shriveled and died. Seriously. I was like, I can't believe this drama is doing this to me. After all we've been through. And then, and, and, and I guess what pissed me off the most was they spent so much time in that final episode, which to me could have been amazing to show us this growth. And they spent half an hour crying over Granny. I was like, going to lose my mind. Going to lose my mind. I'm telling you. Yeah. I don't know if I felt like I was going to lose my mind, but I do think that like <laughs> it, you know, I think it felt like it fit into this overwhelming area I had where I'm like, did I think it was like good in that like there was like echoing and mirroring and the story came together in a way that was like functional and like worked? Yes. I just, um, in the end, I mean, like, I think I'll think about it and, um, you know, ponder some of it, but I'm not sure that it was enough for me to feel like it like transformed me. All right. Well, we're obviously not going to be able to touch on every little nuance of this drama, but I think we've, I think we've given a good enough overview of how we all felt about it. I think we all had very different feelings about it, but I also think we've come together on a lot more than we thought that we would. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I actually and I actually thought this discussion was I thought I was going to come in and just be like a total Eeyore about it, to be honest. But I feel like talking to you and Leah, I feel a little bit better, too, that I feel like now I'm seeing some value in it, even if I didn't enjoy it. Right. And I think that's really important. Like there can be value to a story, even if it's a story that you didn't enjoy. And I used to, when I was in the um, high school English classroom, I used to say to my students, you cannot like a book that we read in class. Like that's fine. You cannot like it. But the fact that you have any sort of reaction to it means that it moved you in some way, even if it's not that you loved the story. And I think that that Like any story that moves you, whether it's to happiness, to anger, to sadness, whatever, 
it's doing its job if you're reacting to it, you know, and I, I think that's important. But before we close this out, um, any final thoughts on the drama and would you recommend it? So, um, yeah, I mean, did I like it? Clearly, no. Um, I touched briefly on, like, the repetitiveness of it, which was another problem I had. I just want to say I, I get I, I did think the drama was interesting because I do think they did a lot of kind of repetitive scenes. And I think it was on purpose. There was like a lot of scenes of, you know, it was to show kind of like the daily drudgery of these characters lives. But I don't I didn't find it enjoyable to watch. Like, I swear the director had the same shot of like the camera at ground level watching Gian like speed walk away in her worn converse on nighttime streets and played it like three times an episode and, you know, just her, like, drinking her Maxim coffee, dumping in two packets in, like, the same cup. And so I get the repetitiveness of it, but that's not compelling to me. Like, that that's the thing. Like, I get it, but it's also not something um, I want to watch. And, and, and that's kind of the thing about this drama, is that I respect my mister for what it meant to do. And I do think it was fairly successful at that. But it's not a drama that I want to watch or I enjoy watching. I mean, do I like sad drama sometimes? Like, sure, I watch Mr. Sunshine. But in Mr. Sunshine, I felt, you know, like a bit of awe in everything I watched. It was like beautiful and epic and like watching art. And my mister was not that. And I get that it wasn't meant to be that. And I get that the choices were intentional, but those choices were just not for me as a viewer. I mean, I would say we talked about Move to Heaven being a comp. Like, I think Move to Heaven even had moments of, like, hope and light. So, you know, I guess what I want to say is I know I might have been harsh, but I just tonight about it, and I I am sorry if my mister is, like, your top drama. But I guess I just, I do think it's important to, like, offer a different perspective, um, seeing as I might have a different one than a lot of other K-drama watchers. Yeah, I think it's important that we're not just coming on here and sort of repeating what what we've heard about the drama, right? That we right. have our, our own sort of take on it. And I will reiterate that I think that I would have liked the drama more if I was watching it an episode a week as it aired or something like that, rather than trying to watch the whole drama in about 10 days. But I didn't have that cathartic healing feeling at the end that so many others have had. So I don't know. I think the performances are stellar. I think I just had some really high expectations based on how much some people love this drama that it didn't end up living up to that potential for me by the end. You know, I think I'd recommend it for anyone who just needs Mm -hmm. to sort of like roll around in some deep feelings for about 20 hours. But it's like, likewise, like it's not a drama I'm going to rewatch ever, ever. Oh, my God. Which is fine. I mean, there's, you know, like, some people say they will watch this drama again and again. And I am not yucking that yum at all. It just Mm -hmm. isn't for me. Mm -hmm. It served its purpose. I think it told an important story. But it wasn't Mm -hmm. emotionally fulfilling and enjoyable for me to go through that story. I guess I would say I I will basically just agree because I do I I understand what you're saying and I agree that's basically it 
And I guess I am going to be the one that falls out a little bit more positive on the drama as a whole. And that's probably because I like slice of life dramas the best out of everyone. And so yeah, that's okay. That's more to my taste. I, I am surprised that I didn't feel more emotionally invested in the story. I am a big crier. I'm a big crier in dramas. I'm watching Our Blues right now and I feel like I cry like every other episode. But I didn't I didn't shed a tear in this drama, which shocks me. And I think it is because I was mostly intellectually engaged with the story as opposed to being emotionally um, invested. And that's interesting and that's something for me to kind of reflect on and... I think that overall, though, I am amazed at how deeply this drama affected so many people, how it is so many people's top drama, how so many people do feel as if afterwards they kind of just couldn't get over my mister and they kept missing my mister. And so I think that alone is just really like a fascinating thing because really it kind of gets into this idea of of that famous quote by Thoreau, which is the mass of men leave lives of quiet desperation. And I'm wondering how much this drama, because to me, this drama really was about that idea, that idea that the mass of men and women and people live lives of quiet desperation. And I wonder how many people just felt like they touched that touched a chord on them in some way. And that idea that, you know, sometimes we do get complacent and sometimes we do need to come back to those things that ignite us or make us whole. And the fact that, you know, often as we get um, older in life, we we do start to realize that, you know, sometimes you are stuck on some sort of a hamster wheel and that there can be these like cycles of dissatisfaction. And so I'm wondering how much of that also just kind of plays deeply with audience reaction. And I think that that is, um, that's interesting and important um, to respect and to pay attention to. So we want to do something a little different. Usually we talk about what we're watching. But and so we don't have a specific book rec tonight, but we thought we'd talk about what we're all reading. Yeah, because I feel like we haven't talked about books in a while. And there's not right. There's not because we're romance writers. So we're usually recommending romance books. There's not a romance comp to my mister, nor nor should there be. <laughs> right. But, you know, to, to sort of get out of the sort of complacency of drudgery, uh, which, you know, was a lot of the story and respectfully so. Um, I am actually reading something that is making me smile so much right now. I'm reading a romance called Book Lovers by Emily Henry, and it is so much fun. It's so very meta. It's a literary, it's a romance between a literary agent and an editor. Oh, no, cool. That's cool. I didn't know that. It is. It's super cool, but it's also like these two people start out, it, you know, it's an enemies to lovers type thing. And it talks about all the different tropes and like the the heroine, Nora, um, her sister books them a month in the summer in this place called Sunshine Falls, North Carolina. Um, I think it's North Carolina, which um, Nora's client wrote a book that like took place there. And her sister wants Nora to have like the small town romance experience. And so she books her a month stay and like they have this checklist that you know, her sister's pregnant with her third child. Like she's not trying to have a romance, but she wants Nora to have like the book romance experience. Whereas Nora's like, none of this shit happens in real life. So it's, it's fun. It's super funny and witty. It's very meta for anybody who is in the publishing world. And again, that's book lovers by Emily Henry. And I'm 
loving it so much. I'm going to go right back to reading it or listening to it after we're done here. Yeah. So I've actually been on a total book binge um, and I am reading the Monstrous series by Lily Main. Um, it's L-I-L-Y, Lily, and then Main is spelled M-A-Y-N-E. So um, they it's a male-male fantasy romance series. The first book is called Soul Eater. And look, I had had so many recommendations for this book. I've seen it everywhere. I don't know why I waited to read it. It is so good. Look, I love anyone who's creative enough to create this whole post-apocalyptic world with dozens of different kinds of monsters. And it's really cool. Some monsters are more like animals. Some monsters are very sentient. They're all unique. They're all cool. They have different abilities. And it's always kind of like one, like a human male who falls in love with an alien male. And, or I'm sorry, a monster male. These are like monsters. It's just so interesting. Um, it's, uh, there's like an overall arc too that she's carrying on through all the books, which is always a challenge to do. And I think she's being super, um, creative with it and it's successful. And I'm really obsessed. It's like, it's amazing too, because she's, the communication that she is writing between the humans and the monsters I feel like real love, real relationships. She really makes sure that they're communicating their feelings. I'm like blown away. It's so fantastic. So heart, like if you, <laughs> it's heartwarming, it's heartwarming and healing <laughs> to read this series. Yeah. <laughs> so oh anyway, I love it so much and I'm really enjoying it. So. And for me, I am uh, listening to an audiobook, which is a fun treat. I have been reading a lot more, but uh, lately I'm getting ready to go to Australia. So I'm packing and cleaning a lot. So audiobooks have kind of been my go-to. And I am currently reading Last Days in Barcelona by Chanel Cleeton. And uh, Chanel is a writer friend. In fact, she is the person who recommended uh, Crash Landing on You to me and got my whole K-drama um, obsession started. So shout out to Chanel for that. But she has done um, a whole lot of romance. And she, in the last couple of years, has pivoted into historical women's fiction and um, she does the Perez family, who are ex, uh, expats who fled uh, Cuba during the revolution. And she does uh, dual timelines really, really well. So in this case, um, we're kind of going between 1964 Barcelona and 1936 Barcelona, where, uh, you know, mother and daughter stories, secrets are being revealed. And um, there's a lot of, you know, talk about uh franco and castro and espionage and family history and uh you know the war in spain so really lush really fun and highly recommend it so that's our last days in barcelona by chanel cleeton and what are we all watching i am watching ken porsche the thai boy love drama i cannot describe how much I love it. Uh, if you are on our Instagram, you've heard me talking about it. Leah's also watching it. I don't know how I'm going to survive because it's currently airing. I'm devastated. We get one episode a week and I'm used to two episodes a week with K-dramas. So I'm spoiled. It's just everything I want it to be. It's the tropiest, tropiest romantic 
silly, goofy, but also violent thing I've ever seen. I'm obsessed. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) And now that I have finished my mister, I've gone back to tomorrow. And I'm really enjoying that. I'm finishing episode five. I was almost done with episode five before we started recording tonight. Um, And for anybody who hasn't started watching tomorrow yet, I think all the episodes are out now. I think all 16 are out. Um, It's about a, a guy who... Um, gets tangled up with some Grim Reapers who they are the um, the risk management team and they try to keep people from taking their own lives. And he falls off of the bridge in, off of a bridge into the Han River trying to trying to stop a guy who's going to jump and gets in the way of the Grim Reapers doing their job and he ends up in a coma and is basically sentenced to helping the Grim Reaper team um, that he messed up. Uh, in order to get out of his coma sooner. And it's strangely like funny and heart-wrenching at the same time. I would liken it to uh, Move to Heaven as far as like the episodes being more vignettes of people's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, like where there's like an over, you know, there's like an overarching story of like the hero's life and what's going on there. And one of the main Reapers, um, her life and and why she is a reaper and what she did to sort of get there. And that's all like a thread, like sort of going through. But then within that, it's like every episode or two episodes is a certain, certain person who is either past or, you know, they're trying to keep from passing. Um, It's their story. So I like that aspect of it too, is that um, you can watch a couple episodes and have like a little bit of closure, but they, they do a good job of having some, some decent enough cliffies at the end that you're like, I'm just going to watch one more. Kind of thing. So it's it's really enjoyable. Like I said, it's both laugh out loud funny and then super dark emotional stuff at times. And it's balancing it really well. So, so far, so good. I recommend. But we'll see what happens when I get to episode 16. Yay! I want to see it. I'm going to start that soon. So I, too, am on the Kin Porsche uh, train. And I don't want to get off at that station ever. I am also watching Our Blues, which is still dropping. And really, like I said today, uh, as much as I enjoyed my mister, did not shed a tear. I am dropping tears like I'm a dehydrated little raisin on Our Blues. So uh, take that as you will. uh, Slice of life uh, vignettes on Jeju Island. And honestly, besides that, I'm kind of biding my time for the uh, Kaha Nul uh, insider drama to drop uh, starting on June 8th. And really with the BTS comeback breathing down my neck, I'm just, I feel like I'm just hanging on to the tale that is ARMY life, just trying to keep up with all the content that's out there. So if you are ARMY, uh, this is a big week with uh, the comeback uh, coming out on Friday. And I hope that we are all going to collectively just have so much fun celebrating uh, more BTS music songs in the world. So, yay! Well, okay. I hope you enjoyed our uh, talk about my Mister. That was actually that was a lot of fun, and I was not as mean actually as I thought I was going to be. So, if you thought I was harsh. <laughs> You should hear our talk off of the pod. <laughs> yeah, I actually, you know, I, I actually really enjoyed that that discussion. So you know what, we like what we like, and we're allowed to, you know, not love everything, and that's fine. Um, I think that we always aim to talk about um, what we like and what we don't like with a sort of critical eye, and not just, you know, 
hate on something um, or just love on something. Like we've got our reasons and, mm-hmm. and I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. So thank you for listening, everyone. And we will see you next time. Annyeong. Annyeong. Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong!